0: Well, good morning. I am very excited to be here. As you know, last week I was not. Last week I was in Nigeria. As a matter of fact, at this time, well, they're six hours ahead, so I'd be done by now. But (laughs) this time last week, effectively, I was preaching in five different churches on Sunday morning in Nigeria, McCurdy. And so I've been very excited to get back, very excited to tell you about that trip, and I'm going to do that. But we're embedded in a series right now, and this series is really important. It encompasses the entire walk as a Christian, really, and it's cyclical. It's not like when you begin at the beginning of this, the ready, and then go through set and get to go, that you never go back. We constantly go back because it's kind of like stairs a little bit. If you think of stairs and you're trying to get somewhere at a higher level, think of that as intimacy even with Jesus Christ. I want to get to the top of the stairs because the closer I get to the top of the stairs, the closer I am with him. Well, each step is a ready, set, go. Okay, it's cyclical. You may be building a foundation, so, so perhaps you don't have to go back to the previous step. We certainly want to avoid that. But there's always a ready, set, go. So we did two weeks on ready. And that was where God begins to show us his specific will for our lives. Okay, not, not just his will in the word of God in a generic or general sense, but how he takes that will and applies it to our lives. An example of that might be he that winneth souls is wise. Okay? You can know in the word of God that that's his will. It's God's will for us to share Christ. It's his will for us to talk to people that he places in our path. However, if we don't apply that personally, it has no effect in our lives. So the readying part is him taking his word, him taking the, his will that he set forth in his word, and applying it to us personally. He begins to ready us through that process. The readying has a lot to do with learning, has a lot to do with him revealing his will, specifically to you. For those of you who have been part of this church now from the beginning, we have been So much in that readying and set stage. And we've had a few of the go moments, right? But we've spent a lot of time readying, or the Lord readying us to do his will. Revealing to us what his will is. We're going to be talking about that this morning. Because sometimes the ready process doesn't make sense. Sometimes you look at it and you think, Are you got the right person, Lord? Was this really meant for me? This is really what you want me to do? You really want me to go to Nigeria? Uh, we just planted a church, and yet you want me to go to Nigeria and start something there? You know, really? So sometimes it doesn't make sense. But the readying process is not about us. It's not about our will. It's not about our understanding. It's about what he wants to do in our lives. And I will guarantee you, in your life right now, you are in a readying aspect of your walk with Christ. Now, perhaps you are also in a set and a go aspect in your walk with Christ as well. And I I, I would hope that that's the case. But we will always find ourselves... In a readying mode where He is getting us ready for something different, getting us ready for that next step. Take that next step in the stairs to become closer to Him. So, readying ourselves is learning and building a confidence in His will. Not what we want, but in His will and how it applies to us. We spent two weeks on that. Then we spent two weeks. Alexis preached and spent two weeks on set, being set in Jesus Christ. Once you know the course that God has placed you on, you stay the course and never give up. When He revealed to you His will, He revealed to you that plan, that path, that direction that He wants you to go, you stay on that path. Even if you don't see the end result, even if you don't see what's coming. Because, see, that's the set stage. The stage of set is knowing what you know, but being still in his will. Being quiet. Being patient. i, I got to say, this is the hardest one. It, it's, it's easier to, to be ready because there's so many exciting things in the readying stage. Just his revealing of will is exciting, In the readying stage. The hard part is the set. When you know what you're supposed to do. You know what even the outcome. He's giving you vision of the outcome. But he hasn't released you to do it yet. See that's where he builds faith. And the entire walk and relationship with Jesus Christ. Is built on that faith. On him building your faith. Him building my faith, not only in Him and who He is and what He did on the cross, but in what He wants to do in you, what He wants to do in us as a church. You know, we've talked about this many, many times, that God has been readying us. Okay, He's given us vision. As a matter of fact, it's almost ridiculous, the amount of vision that He's given us. The scope of vision that He's given us. Ignition Church has been told we're gonna to be in seven different places in the world. <laughs> in the readying stage, you can you can okay, you can receive that. But I gotta say, it's a little tough in the set stage. Because you say, Lord. You told us to go to these places. You told us we're going to have this building. You told us what you're going to do in Newark. You told us the very revival that's going to break out. But I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening yet. I'm in this set place of just trusting him. Now we have to be careful because this is also a place where you can turn around. Well, I thought this was supposed to happen, but it didn't. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong in this. Maybe, maybe I, I looked at this the wrong way to begin with. And you know what? Let me, let me, let me go back. Let me go backward. Let me figure out what I'm doing. Let me go backward. Okay. That, that is a real temptation, but that's why the reading process is important. When you're seeking God's will in your own life, you don't just think something's the case and jump for it you have to make sure it's what he wants. Because when you make sure, or when we make sure as a church, then all of the sudden, all of the promises of God fall into place that we could claim. You know, we knew that, that in, in the vision that he had given us, we knew that we can now count on his promises. Second Corinthians 9, 8. But my God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I don't know about you, but that verse is pretty inclusive to me. It includes everything. He says all three times in there. I will give it, whatever work I give you to do, I'll give you everything you need to do it. I told you I'm going to give you this $10 million building. I'm going to give you the money to take care of it. I'm going to give you the money to purchase it. I'm going to give you the money to fill it. See, we don't have to worry about those things if we got the ready correct. If we have his will correct. And that's the the same case in your own life. In your own life, if you have the ready correct, then just stay when you're in the set position and just wait. I remember when I played football, when you come out of the huddle, you know what you're supposed to do. The quarterback called the play, which, by the way, I haven't said this since I've been back, but the Broncos won the Super Bowl. I just want to make that very clear. Thank you. God's team won the Super Bowl. Okay, I know a lot of people think it's the Cowboys, but it's not. Okay, and we got that online, yes, good, they'll all hear that online too. So. Anyways, so when you're, when you're playing football, you come out of the huddle, you know what you're supposed to do, okay? You know if you're a receiver, you know your route. If you're a, a lineman, you know your blocking scheme. You know If you're a runner, you know what you're doing, okay? But there comes a point where you get to the line and you have to freeze. It, it's called the set place. Okay, And this can be a long period of time. It's really up to the quarterback. If if you watch some of these quarterbacks like Peyton Manning that are so good at this, they'll get up there and they'll do false cues to get the other team to come offside. His team cannot move. In the set position, you cannot move. You have to stay where you are. Once you're ready, you come out and you get into position. You stay set until the go is ordered. See, that's how it works in football. Otherwise, you're offside. Otherwise, you get a penalty. But you know what? It works the same way in our life with Jesus Christ, in our relationship with him, in understanding his will, in listening to what he has for us. It works the same exact way. God, I know what you want me to do. So I step out of that huddle, if you will, And I know what I'm supposed to do. I can't go any further because you haven't said go yet. But I'm going to wait in this place trusting you, trusting you, until you say go. I'll give you a really relevant example of that in my own life. And really, it's, it's about the church's life as well. A year and a half ago, I met Andrew coming back from a plane ride. Mexico, I, I was with a team and, and we were in Mexico coming back and he had missed his flight. He was in a conference. He's from Nigeria, the pastor I know from Nigeria. He was at a conference in Houston. He got on, you know, missed his first flight and on the plane or maybe it was in the, in, in the, the uh, terminal or whatever, um, Lindsay had gone up to him and handed him a track because I had given all the young people. We had about 20 young people coming back from Mexico. I'd given them all tracks and I said, these need to all be gone by the time we get to the States. So she goes up, she hands him a tract. They spark up a conversation. Turns out he's a pastor from Nigeria. Okay, I meet him. Okay, this was a year and a half ago. It was August, the beginning of August last year, a little more than a year and a half ago. Immediately, God began to develop a relationship between Andrew and I. Over the phone, over emails, over Facebook, began to develop something that was extraordinary. It was outside of the normal scope of thinking, right? But God began to ready me, ready this ministry for something he had there that we had no clue of. The only difference is I knew I needed to go because I thought by going he would speak to me and show me what it was. So a year and a half ago, I was ready to go. I was ready to go to Nigeria and, and, you know, ready to start raising money to just get out there. I just wanted to get there. And time and time again, God closed doors. Even doors that I tried to open, God closed. Simply because I said, Lord, I want your will and I want your timing. Because I knew this was significant. I knew in the readying part of his will, he was telling me this was significant. So then, a year and a half later, he finally tells me, it's time to go. Go ahead and go. Well, I didn't understand at the time why he waited a year and a half for me to just go for the first time. You know, I I, I hadn't necessarily planned on starting this work right away. I just thought I was going. Just go and absorb and and receive and and see what he has and and whatever. So I asked him, Lord, why a year and a half did you wait to send me? Because it was only about five or six weeks ago he said to go. But he told me, because I need you to understand, or needed you to understand how much I love these people how much they mean to me. I need you to have a heart for them. So see, that made sense to me. Now I moved from that set place to the go mode. To the go, because he said go. He released me to go. And in a few minutes we're going to go through some of the aspects of that trip. I want to share them with you. Not just so you get a feel for what it was like over there and all that. Because these are your brothers and sisters. These are our sister churches that God has formed a union with us. And I know it's easy for that not to make sense to some people. And I get that. I spent time on my knees with the Lord on that. I know some people, it doesn't make sense. I mean, we're, just, we're still just starting this church here. Why, Lord, in this timing, are you sending us over there to do that? Now, I don't have a really good answer for you in that. Because the Lord hasn't given me an answer in that. Except he said, it's time. So go is about Obedience. Go is not about applying what you think to what he says. Go is about obedience. It's about doing what he says when he says to do it. Now see, you need that readying part to know what it was. In that readying part, it's intimacy with him that gives clarity to what he's saying to you. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was supposed to go. And when he released me and said, go, then I knew that that was his timing. Well, what I'm going to share with you today is the result of that. Because you're going to see the answer to that timing. Going over there, it's like, why now, Lord? He answered that question while I was there. And blew me away in a way I cannot even describe. Cannot even describe. So what I want to do, you know, the, the go part where it's, it's going to break down into two weeks. Today we're going to, I'm going to give you a practical example of what that meant when I went to Nigeria. And we're going to go through that and I'm going to show it to you. Next week we're going to finish up the second part of go and what it means. Because it's simple. The go is Obedience. The go is taking what he told you and actually doing it, actually applying it when he releases you to do it. And there's so much power in that. Because if we do that in his timing when he tells us to, we can apply 2 Corinthians 9.8. He gives us everything we need to do it with. And that's not just physical needs. That's not just financial needs. That is the, little po- the literal power of the Holy Spirit engaged with you in that process. That's huge. Oftentimes we think kinda kinda like a businessman. I was a businessman for twenty five years. Had companies for twenty five years. So so I, I was prone to thinking business wise. Well if you think too much and I'm not saying that's bad, especially if you're in business. <laughs> but what I'm saying if that is how you think in your spiritual life, you're gonna get in trouble. Because there's not always a clear answer as to why. There's not always a clear answer as to how. Until you take that step. You know, just like Joshua stepping over the Jordan, okay? Or Moses parting the Red Sea. It didn't part until they stepped. It didn't part until the the priest stepped into the water. So they're looking at this body of water thinking... Okay, Lord, you said to go. Go is your time. We're going to go. But see, it wasn't until they obeyed and they did it that it became clear to them what he was doing. Apply that to your life and where you're at right now with God. In your relationship with him, I'll guarantee you, you're at some point in this ready mode where he's showing you something showing something he wants you to do, showing something he wants you to trust him in, and then perhaps some of you are in that set mode where you know what he wants, but you're just waiting. When he says go, you have to go. When he says go, it's simple obedience. It's simple trust. It's not making sure your checklist is finished first. Well, Lord, I don't have the finances yet. That's unchecked. You know, I don't have this. I don't have that. It's not making sure that checklist is done. It's go and having simple obedience in that. So I want to share with you a little bit about my trip. And and by the way, those online, um, I'm going to be putting on Facebook um, the, the same this same uh, picture strand, and, and there's a couple of videos. I'm putting all that on Facebook, so if you're listening to this online, you can, you can watch the same thing everybody else is going to watch. But uh, I want to tell you a little bit about my trip. And like I said before, these are your brothers and your sisters. Even though they're 5,150 miles away, they're your brothers and they're your sisters. And yes, they speak English. I can understand about 40% of what they say, but they do speak English. And some of them will probably hear that and not understand what I just said. (laughs) When I started preaching, just an uproar in the back, and Andrew comes up to me and he grabs my arm, and he's laughing. Because, see, I did this to him before. He's laughing, and he said, you've got to slow down. (laughs) He said, they don't understand what you're saying. So I thought to myself... My wife Alexis is going in April and she talks twice as fast as I do. <laughs> so that's going to be an interesting feat. That's going to be a chore. But this is Andrew. Okay, this was when I met him a year and a half ago. August of last year. And and uh, you can he, he's the dressed up one just in case you're wondering. But uh, th- this was in Dulles Airport when we got off the plane. I think this was like one o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous like that. Ago. Was this two years ago? It mm-hmm. was two trips ago. Okay. We were still at LCC. What? Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw lunch 14... Okay, anyways. <laughs> it 14. Okay, was It was August, like August 1st or the end of July 2014, Yeah. Last time the Broncos were in the Super Bowl. Thank you so much <laughs> no for that. No problem. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when the Broncos lost the Super Bowl, what did? Yes, but th- this is uh, this is Andrew, and when we met a year, it, you know, it, it, at that time, and we began to develop a relationship with each other. Um, immediately, he and I spent 15 minutes together. We prayed together. Uh, the Holy Spirit just told me to lay hands on him and pray over him, and I did. And and he prayed for me, and and it was just 15 minutes. There was no expectation to come out of that. But within a couple of days, God just started putting on my heart. Nigeria. I'd never thought of Nigeria before. As a matter of fact, my my reaction to Nigeria was probably the same as as many Americans, most Americans. You think of Boko Haram, you think of, you know, Internet stealing of your money, you know, getting bad emails. And, and, you know, you, you think of all these bad things when you think of Nigeria. Well, I began to, to research that, and, and as I was developing a relationship with him, I began to understand more and more the call that God had. And you can could, you could see uh, the red in the middle, that's Abuja. Then the blue state just underneath it is Nasarawa. <laughs> yes, Nasarawa, Nasarawa, something like that. They're gonna get mad at me when they yep. hear this, but, uh, <laughs> and then the one below that is Benue. That one I know how to pronounce. That's where I was. Okay, the, the capital state of Benue is McCurdy. In Nigeria, you have 36 states, just like America has 50 states. Okay, you have 36 states in Nigeria. Where I went was Benue State in Nigeria, and McCurdy is, is, uh, the, the head of that state, the, the capital of that state. So this is me arriving the first night, and it's a similar picture to when I met him in Dulles. Except he's not quite as dressed up as he was. I look pretty much the same, <laughs> but uh, without the hat. But this, this was in Abuja. We stayed the night in Abuja when we first got there um, because he said it was, it was not safe to travel at night, and I didn't get in until like 5.30 at night. And the interesting thing is it wasn't because of worrying about people like abducting you or anything like that. I learned the next morning why it's unsafe to drive at night. It's because the roads are not the best roads, but it doesn't stop them from driving really fast. When, when you pass an opposite, and and yes, Andrew, I, I hope you're listening to this. You can tell Peter, your driver, that that'll have to be different in April. When, when, when you're going 90 miles an hour, and the opposite car is doing the same. And you literally go within inches of each other. You know, you can imagine that's tough in the daytime. So at night, that's why they don't travel at night. So the next morning, we go ahead and we leave. And and we're heading through uh, out, out of Abuja and then into the areas. Now, you can see the a little bit of the landscape here. Um, it, it, as we got out of the city, it was... Uh, because it's the hot season there, it's real hazy. As a matter of fact, we passed through mountains. I didn't even realize that they, that we were passing through mountains until the trip back because it was so hazy I didn't even see the mountains. But um, along the way you could see some of the things that uh, uh, some of the sites, these are some of the mud huts that, that were along the side of the road. You see these all over the place. Okay, a, a lot of your your villages outside of the cities – are, are made up of these. The, these are the least expensive way to build your home, obviously. But you you have those, and then you could see in the back there's there's some some you know concrete more conventional housing or buildings. Um, so you would see dispersed through through the landscape a little bit of both of these outside of the cities. Now the cities were a little bit different, and and when we got to McCurdy, you can see it's a little bit different. You could see the, the concrete construction. Now, McCurdy, there are two rivers that come together right at McCurdy, and, and I don't remember the names of them, but this is, this is the spot where, where I'm showing there is where they come together. And, and we, we went over this, this big bridge into McCurdy. But you, you could see kind of the landscape. It, It doesn't look, you know, that, that different than some of the, some of the places that we have here right and here's a little bit closer picture of the river and everything there is is uh, uh you know mccurdy especially beno estate is farming community um they had i didn't take a picture of it but on the opposite side it's that's looking to the right from the bridge that i was on if you look to the left you see this this big area this big sandbar and in that sandbar, there were the, a bunch of those little grass huts that I showed you. And I, I said, oh, do, do people actually live there? And he said, yes, the fishermen, that's where they live. They live right there. They fish right there. They, all these boats, you see those boats down by the water? Those are all hand-carved boats. Those are handmade boats, hand-hewn boats. And it, it's really quite amazing there. When we got into the center of town, this is the structure. And this structure is huge. I'm going to say it was about 20 feet tall, something like that. And, and I wasn't sure what it was at first. I, I had to ask him, and he said, it's a basket of food. And what he told me, Benoist State in Nigeria is known as the food basket of the nation. In other words, Benoist State produces more food than what the entire country would need to live on. But yet they have no export, no capability of export. When, uh, you'll, see, you'll see a little bit later on in the market, when I go through the market, they have these, these just baskets of fruit and of, of vegetables. And I, I don't think I've ever seen, and I wish I took a picture of this, but I've never seen carrots so big in my life. No lie. The, the carrots were 15 inches long and, and you know, a 3-inch circumference. And they were this bright orange and the, you know, the, the, the greenery coming out of it. it. It looked like a cartoon. It really did. It was amazing. But yet what happens because they have no industry there, they can't package that up. They can't export it out. Okay. So even though it's the food basket of the nation, it really does not affect anything but where they are. Okay, and but that that's what it's called. So before we go to the next uh, slide, I want to Well, actually I'll just go to it and I'll explain what it is. When when we first got there, this guy I'm shaking hands with, his name is Richard. But when we first got there, um, uh, Andrew said to me, he said, well, the first thing we need to do is we need to go over to the protocol officer so he can receive you. Now remember, you know I'm. Let me tell you this: Um, Andrew didn't tell me anything about anything, or what was coming up. Like, like I didn't know if I was going to be preaching or not until he said, "Hey, we're walking in this building, and you're preaching." You know, when when we met people, I I would just literally learn about it right before we got there. Well, I didn't know what the protocol officer was. Okay, I, I knew he was a government official. And, and going into this situation, I, you know, I'm just there to, to do whatever Andrew, you know, leads me to do. So I go in to meet this guy and, and come to find out in, in the Benoist state, again, they're set up kind of like it is in the United States. You have a governor, you have a, I can't remember his title, but it's basically a lieutenant governor, same thing. And then you have the protocol officer. He is this this guy named Richard is the number 3 guy in the entire state, 4.3 million people. He's the number 3 guy in the government. So we went into his office, we met him. He he just had the biggest smile on his face. And you know, we didn't talk about politics. We didn't talk about America. We talked about his faith. He wanted to tell me about his faith. He wanted to tell me about the faith of the people there and how they believe in Jesus Christ, and they're so excited that we're here. That was my first taste of the fact that something was up, that God had been doing something here that I knew nothing about. This was my first taste of it, because as we talked, he said, you know, I thought I was going to stay at Andrew's home. That, that was what was arranged, and that's what I thought I was going to do. Well, I was incorrect in that. Uh, again, I wasn't told ahead of time, but we were taken over to the governor's compound, Okay, where the governor of the state lives. And he has offices, office buildings there, and he has guest homes there. And, and we went over there, and, uh, and here's another picture, by the way, of, of uh, the four of us. Richard's right next to me. Uh, Andrew, and then the one on the end on the left, his name is Charles. Now, I've got to be careful what I say online because Charles will probably be listening to this, and Lord told me something about him that I can't reveal until the Lord tells him, but he was with me on this trip. He was with me on this trip. He lives in Salisbury, Maryland. I had met his wife. She came with me on the Ghana trip two months ago. Okay, so so he was over in Abuja because uh, he goes over there every year. Um, but but they've lived in the states for thirty years, or twenty five or thirty years. But he goes back and forth. They're they're born Nigerian and they have Nigerian passports. Anyways, he was with us the entire time. He was like my right hand guy throughout this this whole process. So so again, they go and they they take us to this guest house. And I walk into this guest house, and I, I'm I'm absolutely blown away by what God does. We walk inside, and he said, "Let me take you to your quarters, okay?" And you know, it was a normal, normal-looking, you know, a kind of like a a, um, a governmental building, except really nice, nice plants, everything, you know, everything around. You could see, you could see even the driveway there, all all uh, paved and everything manicured and beautiful beautiful mango trees all over the place, and, and just beautiful, beautiful. We walk in there, we go inside, he introduced me to the staff. There were, I want to say, six or seven people that he introduces me to. I had no idea this staff was there for me. Had no clue. You know, I'm just, I'm meeting more people, so I'm just I'm shaking just <laughs> their hand. And, and he says, let me take you upstairs to your quarters, and he went upstairs and Andrew and his wife stayed, stayed with us as well, so he showed them their room and he showed them Charles' room. And then I'm going to start this video and walk you through it because I took video of where I stayed. And you have to understand, this was so not expected by me, but where I stayed was their presidential suite. Where I stayed was where all their top foreign dignitaries stayed. And when, when I spoke with Alexis on the phone, and I thought, I, I don't know why God keeps doing this to me. This is supposed to be a missions trip. I'm supposed to stay in one of those grass huts. I, was at, I mean, look at my backpack. I'm fully prepared for that. <laughs> I go in there, and, and they, they put me in this, this suite, this enormous suite, and they were so amazingly gracious. So we walk into this outer room. This is an outer room, okay, right off of the the main hallway where all the other rooms are. This is the initial receiving room for my suite, okay, where we can meet with people, we could talk. It's got a TV, it's lounge area, it's one they have access to, okay. However, if you have need of some privacy, You can walk through this locked door. Okay, I need to hurry up with the camera there. You you can walk through this locked door. And, by the way, that has a bathroom to the left. I didn't show that. But you walk through this locked door, and you have a secondary receiving room. And it's a private room, which you'll see here. Looks the same. But it's private. It's a little nicer. It's got its own private balcony and and everything else. Now I want to warn you as we walk through the double doors, that's the suite. I've got my stuff everywhere. Okay, so please ignore that. I I I, I just took this because I didn't want to forget to take it, but I, I was not worried about cleanliness. Okay. So um so anyways, you'll see. But you walk through these double doors. And you walk into the suite. Immediately to the left, yeah, there's my towel. Immediately to the left is this nice bathroom with a tub and a shower. Everything's tiled beautifully. Everything is, is air conditioned. I mean, it, it, the air conditioning in there was, was there are my bottles of water. Yeah. Uh, the air conditioning in there was so strong that you had to turn it off because it would get too cold in there. And outside, it's a hundred, over 100 degrees. But this now, we're walking into the the living area of the suite. It's right right before the bed. There's a TV, you know, a little couch area, lots of windows. You can open up the windows during the day, and it's just beautiful outside. And then the bed right there. Of course, it's not made. I apologize. And then a desk area um, as well. Uh, And then in the back here. Uh, my, my wife will love this part because she'll be there in April. A full-size mirror to get ready. <laughs> that, that. <laughs> there you go. See, God's thinking of you. He? He's thinking of you. But then to the left, and I, I think I, I stumbled here trying to find the, uh, the light for it, but the left is all closet area. Um, all Everything you need, really, to be able to stay as long as you need to stay. This is where they put me up, and and it was just amazing to me. Okay, well, right. At, remember, I said there was a balcony right outside. The balcony are these beautiful mango trees, and and I, I was looking at them and I thought, are those mangoes? <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out what those were at first, and and I thought, well, they look like dead leaves. I, I'm not i not exactly sure what that is. And, and then I began to look into the sky. And I thought, oh, these beautiful birds. They're, they're just flocking all over the place. And there were literally thousands of them. Thousands of them. I took so much video of this, it, it's pretty sad. I wasted a lot of video on this. But if you look close, those are bats. Those are fruit bats. Those are fruit bats with a wingspan of about two feet. And they stand about a foot tall. And I got to tell you, see now those are some of the grounds there, but they were the coolest things to look at and to watch when when I was up now this this wasn't the video where I was close to them. I was up on the balcony and and uh, I got some video of them flocking over into these trees and and literally i mean thousands of them and they were within ten feet of me. It was the coolest thing in the world, but you you could kind of see them there and um and so this is a little bit closer look. I wish I had a Zoom lens, but those things that I wasn't sure what they are, those are the, actually the bats hanging upside down. So apparently blood doesn't run to their head. So, but then after that, after we got settled and we had had some lunch, then they took me back to um, uh, another uh, governmental building, and because I was to be received. Now the governor of the state was out of out of the state. He was in a Boujan business. He was gone the entire time I was there, but, um, um, but he wanted to receive me, okay, and in his place he had the d- lieutenant governor receive me. Now this gentleman, uh, is, is you can see Richard behind me, and this gentleman is in the blue there. He is the, the number two guy in the organization, in, in the government there. Okay, and, and they had, this room was actually packed. They had this conference table that they put, uh, you, you see me, Charles, uh, Andrews across the way, and, and then the rest of, most of them are pastors, um, uh, you know, that were part of this, and then, then there were people all around the edges. And there were cameras, and there were, you know, people recording it, and, and he said that this this is, you know, this is gonna be on the TV, this is gonna be on the radio, this is gonna be on on uh different forms of media. This see, this was a big deal. This was a big deal. And 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 I, I was just going with the flow because I had no clue how big a deal this was. But this was a big deal here. And what God was putting together was a big deal. And this is uh a uh, little bit closer picture with he and I. It was interesting. When he was, when he was saying what he, what, you know, speaking from his heart, it was as if he and I were the only ones in the room. And what he began to tell me was his heart for the people there. Okay, not just from an economic standpoint, but from a heart for God standpoint. And I remember at the end, because I, I didn't know protocol. I didn't know if I was supposed to talk or if I, what I was supposed to say. And, and I thought, you know what, I don't care. Because at the end, I, I said, if you'll if you let me say, I've never heard a government representative speak like you do for Jesus Christ. And when he was talking about his people, tears welled up in his eyes. And it broke my heart because this was a man who represented the governor, represents him, uh, the governor has the same feelings, the same relationship with Christ that he does, and just his desire for those people. Not just to increase economically, of course they want that. But they saw a bigger picture than that. And so it was my joy to be able to listen to what he had in presentation for his people. But one of the things that that he said to me, which absolutely blew me away, he said, first of all, welcome Ignition Church. Welcome this new ministry. He said, anything that we can do as the government of Benoist State that is within our power to do, to help you in this endeavor, we will do. You have this government's commitment. I I don't know about you, that gives me chills. See, this was not set up in a day. God was beginning to reveal to me that there was something going on here more than what I had realized. That's just a picture of when we were on the radio. But anyways there's more going on here than met the eye. And so as we finished there, we went out and we started to go visit a couple of different places. I preached twice on Friday. And this was a group of pastors. This was just pastors and ministry leaders. They they had gathered together. And they didn't have a whole lot of time. Like, we hadn't decide, decided me going, Andrew didn't know I was coming, except just, I think it was three or four weeks before. So so he got these, these pastors together that, that were local enough to be there, and, and we got to spend an hour, hour and a half together. And just pouring into them what I believe God was beginning to set up in Nigeria for Ignition. Now, one thing I want you to understand, I knew that Nigeria was a calling of, it was one of, the, one of the seven places that we're called to in this country, or I mean in this world, okay? Yeah, I know, I'm a little taller than most of them. You, you can see in this picture. Uh, that, that guy to the right, and I, I'm, I'm so bad with names, but he, he was such an awesome, awesome guy. His church, he gave me pictures because his church literally collapsed a week before we were there. The, the, uh, the roof of it collapsed, and, and so he gave me pictures of that. But just the hearts of these people was just unbelievable, unbelievable. But what the Lord was, was doing was beginning to reveal something very special, that he had been at work in this for much longer than just a few weeks or even a year and a half. These were some of the people um, I got to I got to meet after we spoke with the pastors there and, and just pouring into them. Uh, these were some of the people outside and behind me. I'm going to show you some pictures, but behind me is a school, and I got to go through some of some of those and and get to look in and see some of the kids. You can see me here walking. Now they they must not have a lot of tall people because I had to duck most everywhere I went in in the country, and that was cool. But these, these are uh, some of the kids. And, and it's really interesting, because I, I want you to grasp this. Okay, When I was there, from the moment I got there to the moment I left, I did not see another white person. Okay, there was not another white person. I did see a white mannequin, yeah. which I, I, joked, I joked with Andrew about. But there, I did not see another white person at all. Now, not that they hadn't seen them, because they have Internet and all that. They had seen those. But, but to see one in person was extraordinary to them and, and I had asked Andrew about this I, I said do they do they you know are, are are there other white people that come here he said oh no he said not not you know occasionally they'll have missionaries come through and do you know a convention or whatever he said but but no this is very rare especially in McCurdy and see I knew the Lord had called us to Nigeria I knew that the Lord told me that the world would be reached through Africa. He told me that Africa would be reached through Nigeria. What I didn't know is where we were supposed to start in Nigeria. I just knew that Andrew was from McCurdy. And and see, Andrew is with Assemblies of God, and he is a regional director with Assemblies of God. He's over the Benue state and over 72 churches. It's either 72 or 77. I can't remember. But what I didn't realize is he is also has a national position. He's number three in the country. He has over 6,000 churches that, that he works with under, underneath him. But these were some of the children that I got to meet and talk with. And you can see the height of the doors there. It's- but these children, just their faces. Oh my goodness. Uh, I, when God said, I needed you to wait a year and a half because I needed you to see how much I love them, what I didn't realize is he was having me fall in love with them. Even though I had not met them yet, I already loved who they were. So when we were done here, you know, we, we went back to the, uh, to the suite. And, and this is another thing. It, it, their culture is very different than ours. Um, their culture is very honoring of things. And they, they kept insisting that I sit at the head of the table. And I kept saying, well, no, you, you sit here. No, here, let me get your food. And, and it, it was, it was um, first of all, I got nowhere with that. <laughs> they, they would not allow me to do anything for them at all and And it was just very important to them that that I sat at the place of honor, even though I did not deserve it. This is an example of the kind of china we ate with. You know I, I mean, here's the missions trip. <laughs> Yay. You know, I, I thought I, you would think I'd get over that in Mexico, because in Mexico we have property down there, and I, and, and I take teams down there, and it's like staying in a resort, right, for those of you who have been. Now, the work we do, though, the work we do is important, and the work we do is in very poor areas. But I thought, I thought well, certainly going to Nigeria, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change. And so instead it just ramped up another notch. <laughs> Because one of the things that the government said there is, anytime we bring a team there, that's where we stay. That's where they're putting us up until we have our own building. That's where they put us up. They provide that that uh, places to stay. They pro- provide all the food, and, and they they fed me so much. I, I, I'm like I don't eat this much in the United States. <laughs> you know, you're you're overfeeding me here. But they provided all that. They provide transportation. You know, they were committed to bringing in God's will as a government. That was huge to me. So we went from there. We went into the marketplace. Now, this is a typical open market. This is one of their biggest ones in McCurdy. This is a typical open market where they go and they buy all their foods. They buy their, you know, buy their clothing they can buy all kinds of different things they don't have like shopping malls like we do or anything like that they, they do have uh, this is an open market and then they do also have down the roads they have just stores that are like kind of like this but out on the open road but these are these are just um, um, pictures of the marketplace that we went through you can see, how they all 'll just have boxes and boxes and stacks of fruits and vegetables and 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 these yams now I'm not a yam fan, but uh, apparently their yams are like the best in the world I and mean, they, they look about as big as my leg and they, I'll show you a picture of them here in a little bit but but they have all this stuff and and they're just very blessed in this way, but so much of it goes to waste. So much of it can't be, because they have no refrigeration for it. Uh, They have no way to package it or preserve it. So, um, you know, so they deal with all this. Even their meats, even their meats like that right there is, is that, that was a bull that was killed literally 15 minutes before it was right there. I got pictures of that, but I'm not going to show those to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a picture of this skinned bullhead that's uh, pretty crazy looking. But, uh, but we walked through, and, and this is right outside the, the slaughterhouse where they do it. They just bring them in. And it's actually very, you know, for, for them, for, for their standards, very clean, very organized, um, very humane in that way. And then they just they cut them up right there. They bring it out. People get their food. They cook it that day. Because, see, they, they, can't, they can't refrigerate it. They have to get their food, that type of food, they have to get every day. You know, some of the other things, vegetables and, and fruits, they, they will last a couple of days. But, um, again, these, these are all all uh, pictures of the market. You see that, that ditch there where it has boards that the cars can drive over. They have those all over the place. And, and I wasn't sure what they were. Because I was thinking they're certainly not sewer because all these places have like septic systems. But what I found out is this is the dry season. It's so dusty. Everything's so dusty there. But come about May, May through July is the rainy season, and they get so much rain they need these these troughs to literally divert all the water. They they get so much water that comes through there. But uh, here's some more pics of the marketplace. Um, uh, you can, you could just see there's down, down on the lower right. There's, those are actually, uh, uh, the tops of carrots there and they have tons of these beans. And here's another picture of some of the meat that I think that's still part of that same bowl or it might, this one might've been a pig. I can't remember, but, um, was an it was, <laughs> it was an animal. Yes. And, and then you see these, these bags, of, of uh, beans now the beans they can sell uh, they can bag those up and I think they do export those to a certain extent because they they do preserve Be- beans will preserve longer um, but they they just have tons. the 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 soil there is so fertile to to grow this stuff it's really quite amazing and and again they have all the way from these big bigger industrial type buildings to the to the little, uh, all the way to the little uh, shacks, if you will, like these. This is all part of the same market, but you see all the, all the vegetables there, the tomatoes, the onions, um, all the different fruits um, that, that are along this way. And, uh, and this is very typical. You see on the left, those are the yams, those, those things that look like a huge potato. And that's actually kind of what they taste like, just a, a big potato. But they they make some delicacies, delicacies out of those. They they make a thing called fufu, which is really interesting. Um, you're not supposed to chew it. You're supposed to just swallow it. Oh. Haven't gotten that one figured out yet. <laughs> so um, I like to chew my food. Anyways, uh, but they make them out of the out of these yams, and and these are all over. You you can find those all over. They sell them on the side of the road. They just have. You know, barrels and barrels of these yams. It's really, really amazing. And, and then all the beans they had, probably, I want to say 15 different types of beans uh, that, that were really quite amazing. And the cool thing is uh, Richard, who, who I got to know, I love him because he, he has a cowboy hat. I, I told him next time I'm going to bring my cowboy hat. But he, uh, uh, he met us at different points. You know, just just to make sure we were doing okay, everything we needed, you know, anything we needed, that sort of thing. He he really engaged with us from a governmental standpoint. Really, an awesome awesome guy. And uh, um, again, this is this is more of the open market here. And let me see where I'm at. Okay, and then from here, uh, we ended up going to one of my favorite places that I was there. This was an orphanage. And it was founded by a lady who is dead now. We saw her grave, as a matter of fact, I might have a picture of that in here. Um, But it was founded by a lady years ago, not a church, not a governmental program. She just saw a need and she started a home just for these precious little kids. That's the home there. And, and uh, there, there were two, two or three buildings that were involved with it, but these are the leaders of that. And uh, um, the, the lady to the left is the one that runs it now. She took over when that other lady died, but they don't get government assistance. They don't get, you know, there isn't a church that takes care of them on a normal basis they rely on people walking in off the street and just giving them some money to help get food, to help get, get uh, needs for the babies. And, and so when we went in here, it, it was just, I'm going to show a, a video here. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'll go ahead and roll it. We took a little bit of video in here. And these are just some of the kids that are in there. But they had kids all the way up to, I want to say, mid-high school that had been there. Uh, for years, and, and they grow up, you know, I, I met a young man who is um, close to a senior, what we would think of as a senior, uh, who, whose parents both died years ago, and he's been at the home, and they just take care of him. That little baby there is less than two weeks old, and, and the, the hospital had just dropped this precious little girl off. Because the, the, the parents came in had the mom came in had the baby and abandoned the baby she couldn't do anything with it was it was the baby had more of a chance to to have a life in you know with this orphanage than you know than, than, uh, with the mother so that actually happens a lot and and that's that's kind of been the case with all these kids and all the kids were just amazing. But one of the things that, if, if there was any kind of deficiency or, or defect in the child, many times they would be dropped off because they, they couldn't help the family or, or there were problems, um, you know, and, and with abandonment and everything else. And they, this broke my heart, you know, as it would with any orphanage that you go to. But the difference here to me was that these people did not have a significant source of continued support. It, it, it just really, really blew me away. And here, here's a picture of that little girl. And she, she, when we first walked in, she, she was just crying. She was in a crib, a little, um, I, I guess it was a crib, um, just crying. And Charles went over to her and just picked her up and held her, and she immediately stopped crying. She just wanted to be held. She just wanted to be loved, and, um, and that, the lady holding her is one of the workers. This is the grave. It's, it's right at the front of the property, but this, this, uh, uh, this lady, Catherine, she is the one who started it years ago, and, and it has continued on. So the, the land's paid for it. They don't have to pay rent or anything like that, but, but all of their sustenance, they have to you know, rely on people to give for that. And then this is my buddy right here. This is, this is Moses. He's been at the, the orphanage for a long time. Um, uh, he, you know, he's, he's got some disabilities, but he was awesome. When we first walked in, he just had the biggest smile on his face. And, and I just looked at him, had an immediate connection with him, and his name's Moses, so it, it's very easy to remember. But, uh, but just seeing his face was, was worth that trip. And, um, and it, it was just such an awesome time. So we went from there, and we went kind of the opposite end of the scale. And he took me to an elderly care home. Okay, you go from babies to elderly care. Now, this one, the, the thing that really stuck out to me in this is it was the same thing. Here, it wasn't government-assisted. It wasn't where people come and their families pay for them, like like here in the States. It was people that were homeless that had nobody else to take care of them. This guy and his wife, he retired, and he just said, we need to do it. And he's been doing it for 10 years. And he he just relies on people donating to be able to get the the. Things that are needed for these people, and he's got about ten people that stay there. The guy in the green, the green stripe out front, or bluish green stripe. That's that's the one who heads it up, and uh, I don't recall his name. But uh, uh, just a phenomenal, phenomenal, he and his wife just giving people. So inside, I got to meet a lot of the elderly people, and uh, uh, this is an example that you know most of them. They can get around a little bit, but not really. You know, they're, they're, I believe this lady was blind. and uh, But, oh my goodness, the second they heard us there, the second, those who could see, the second they saw us there, they were so excited. See, when we go back in April, and every time we go back, we're going to visit the orphanage, we're <laughs> going to visit this home, because there was so much joy that we got to put in their lives just for the simple fact of being there of just getting to spend time with them so i got to to meet several of these and then this lady here she i'm going to guess she was in her upper 80s i got to pray over her but she had her son in there with her and her son i'm i'm again just a guess but i'm going to guess he he was in his 50s or or 60s or something maybe but there was a story there his her son took care of her okay two men came to his door one day and he had been here now for t- about two years two men came to his door asking for directions and when he walked out to kind of show them they abducted him and they kidnapped him and they poked out his eyes and they did this for reasons of Of their spiritism, so they could offer that to their gods. Okay, now he lived in the villages. This was not something that that I ran into. You know, as a matter of fact, um, I I felt safer there than I would in Wilmington. However, this happens. This happens to a place that does not see the glory of God. And so he, he is there and, and is taken care of along with his mother. And uh, I mean, it was a privilege and a joy just to pray over these people. But then I got to, there, there's always one in a group that captures my heart. And this was her. She she was so excited that we were there. She looked at me and, and immediately she just said, can I help you? Can I hug? She puts her arms out like this. Can I hug? And I thought, yeah, yeah, we could hug. And I go down and I hugged and she wouldn't let go. So, so I get down on my knees and I just said, I'm just going to stay there. As long as you want to hug me, I'm going to hug you. And we just hugged. And and her, just her face, the smile. And, and by the way, these are all Christians. These are all people that know the Lord. I talked to the, the one who runs it. And, and asked him, do these people know the Lord? And he said, yes. He said, every single one of them has a relationship with Jesus Christ, knows the Lord. And so I'm talking to her, and I'm, I'm just so excited that, do that, you know, one day she and I are going to be hugging in heaven together. And it's going to be a whole different life for her. It's going to be a whole different circumstance for her. So the, those two places really found a very special place in my heart. So then, you know what? Hold on, let me, let me look here, because I didn't really know how long this was going to be. Uh, we might... Yeah, we're not even close. Okay, you know what? We're going to stop right here. And and I will continue it next week, because I don't want to hold you really late, but I also don't want you to miss this, because it's, it's really... Really important. The bottom line, I want you to understand something. This was called way before we knew it. God has been preparing things there way before he ever introduced me to Andrew. And and next week, I'll give a little plug for next week because I was really hoping to get into it this week. Next week, I'm going to explain to you what I mean by that. My return there, because I couldn't figure out why they were doing, and I'll show you next week, I couldn't figure out why they were doing all the things they were doing for me. But then they explained why. My presence was an answer to a prophecy. Prophecy. That had, spoke, had been spoken over 20 years ago. And when I share with you. It wasn't ambiguous. It was exact. It was specific. And because of that. They saw the importance of what God is doing in our relationship. So see when you are ready. You allow God to ready you. Then he puts you into a place of Set. Of just waiting and trusting him. But at some point he says go. And that timing may not be what makes sense to you. But it makes sense to God. And he'll reveal to you why. In due time. That's what he did in Nigeria with me. And what he's doing here. We're in a set mode. Here in Ignition. You know we're. We're 40 people, 40, 50 people in a living room, as I've said many times, right? It doesn't coincide with the vision that he's given us. It doesn't coincide with what he said is about to happen in Newark. That literally thousands and thousands, and this is not an exaggeration, this is what he said, thousands and thousands of people in Newark will come to know Christ through revival in Ignition Church. So see, we're in the set mode. We don't see any evidence of that outside of faith. See, in faith, we see all of that. In faith, we know the building He's given us. We go and we pray over it. We go and we look at it. In my mind, I'm already laying things out in the thing. But we're not given it yet. We're not in the go mode yet. But we will be. Because he needs us in the set mode to trust him. He needs us in the set mode to have faith that he's going to do something that's extraordinary. And literally, all we have to do is stay out of his way. We have to do in our lives what we need to do to allow him to work. And by the way, that's a full-time job. It's a full-time job. Sometimes stay out of his way. Because all we see is what's in front of us. But what pleases him, Hebrews six, 6, right? It's faith. That's why, to God, the set mode is precious. I think, that, I think that is God's favorite mode. I really do. It's not so much the go mode. I mean, that... The go mode just gets you to another set mode for God. Because God absorbs the faith in the set mode. When you're just sitting there and you're not moving, but you're trusting him. When we sit here as a church and we know what he's doing in us, but nothing has come to fruition yet. Or we see little signs of things, but we don't see the action of things. We trust by faith. See, he absorbs that. He craves that. He ingests that. He takes every ounce of faith that we can give him, and he just wraps his arms around it until the point when it's go. And then he releases it. It says go. What a precious place to be. Because years from now, we're going to look back and we're going to think on this time as so precious for what he did, what he put together out of nothing, out of literally nothing. We praise you. Let's bow our heads.